Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Man, I feel like I've been traveling quite a bit, so it's fun to be back home for a minute. Actually, a couple weeks ago, I was in Dallas, and I was visiting friends and family with my husband, Ben, and the first day we flew into Dallas, actually, we stopped at a high-end jewelry store because uh, one of the employees there is a friend of Ben's, and so we went into this exquisite jewelry store. I mean, we're talking about very fine jewelry. And we walked in, and he was giving us a tour, our friend, and he was explaining to us, you know, uh, the, the certain gemstones and how they were cut and how much they were worth. And it was a lot of money, okay? Like, think and add zeros, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was stunning. There was so much bling happening in the space. And I'm not necessarily one who's, like, super into fine jewelry now. Let me be very clear. If you offer it to me, I will accept it. But it's not going to be, like, high on my Christmas list, you know? But all of a sudden, I'm in this space, and the longer that we're in this space, and I see these sparkly, shiny things, beautiful objects, like, staring at me, I'm like, I'm getting ideas. I'm like, oh, ooh, well, I don't know, that diamond would look real good on this finger. Like, it was made for me, and those earrings, they would just, like, pop with this neckline, yes. You know, I'm like, I'm getting ideas, right? And I couldn't help but compare my wedding ring and band to all of the bling that is happening. I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, I know. I've only been wearing this for, like, two years now, but, like, I don't know, maybe, like, year five we can, like, you know, upgrade. Like, that could be added to this, and I don't know, just, like, 2.0 edition. You know, I'm, I'm getting ideas, right? And meanwhile, you know, Ben is completely oblivious to this because he's chatting it up with our friend, and I'm kind of glad because if he would have caught on to this, he would have been, like, much shorter vis- visit, you know, like, bye, we got to go, see you later, right? So before we leave the store, our, our friend kindly offers to clean our jewelry, the jewelry that we had on us. So we're like, sure, why not? So I take off my wedding ring, I take off my band, and I'm admittedly a little bit embarrassed because it's been a long time since I've had it cleaned. You know, like we're talking at least like six months, right? A couple minutes later, he brings back the jewelry on these trays. And no joke, for a minute, like a hot second, I thought he brought back the wrong jewelry. I was like, what? It was magnificent. Like I didn't know that my ring could shine like that. I mean, as I was putting back on my band and my wedding ring, I was like having flashbacks all over again to when Ben first opened that little box that it was in and he got down on one knee because he's romantic like that and he asked me to marry him. I was like, yes, yes, all over again, yes. I say yes, you know, I'm putting this on. I I was acting for the rest of the day like one of those girls who's like newly engaged. You know what I'm talking about? Were you like everywhere? You're like, hello, how are you? Hi, nice to see you. Can I help you? You know those girls in worship too when they get engaged because they'd be like, hallelujah. Like they want to blind everybody, right? You know, like this is a big deal. I kept looking down at this piece and I was like, wow. I completely forgot about all the other pieces in that store, right? Now here's the thing. It was the same exact ring that I've been wearing for the last two years, but it felt brand new. Why? Because it got cleaned. And sometimes, friends, the things we value in most in life, what they need is some good cleaning. Like right now, we're in the middle of a series called Soul Detox. And we're examining, we're taking a look at biblical principles that can help us detox, get rid of some of the negative things in our life that impact our spiritual health and our spiritual growth so that we could experience all that Jesus offers us, live the abundant life that Jesus has for us. Because let's be real, our soul Our thinking, our will, our desires, the way that we manage our emotions needs some cleaning. It's valuable, but it needs some cleaning in life. 
And last week, we actually began and, and, and we unpacked this biblical principle of what it means to give and accept and, 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 and freely practice forgiveness. And if you missed it, please listen to the podcast. And this week, we're continuing this journey of what it looks like to gain some perspective so that we can detox the soul and live in the freedom that we're meant to. We are going to talk about, we're going to explore the life-giving, the soul-revitalizing, the absolutely essential practice of repentance. Some of you are not ready for that. You're like, Ugh, I'm good, <laughs> right? Like, Because we have these ideas, you know? Like repentance, it sounds so judgy, so stuffy, right? And it's not even a term that we use in everyday life. You know, it's not like if I ask you how was your day yesterday, you're like, it was so good. I got a lot done at work. I hit the gym afterwards. I hung out with some friends for dinner, and then I went home. And you know what I did? I practiced some repentance. Yeah, some good repentance. High five, you know, right? No, we don't talk like this because repentance to us is usually not associated with good things, right? Like we can blame it on a generation of like picket signs saying turn or burn and Somebody yelling in a microphone, repentance, right? It's, all, it's done a number on all of us. But, but friends, I think it's really important that we don't just dismiss this term or this topic because of our own discomfort. Like perhaps we should lean in a bit and dissect the true meaning of this simple and powerful practice because it is exactly what we need in our lives to detox from shame, from sin, from insecurity, from fear, from depression, from discouragement, from isolation, from rejection, from the things that all too often creep into our heart. We don't like to admit they do, but they get in the way and they weigh us down. So that instead, perhaps today we could experience new levels of freedom and breakthrough in our life like we've never known, but Jesus died on the cross for us to experience. So let's pray together and then jump into God's word. Father, we thank you that you're here, that your presence is here. We thank you some of these topics like repentance. We have one idea of what it means, but it's a beautiful practice that leads to freedom in our lives. And so God, let's return to the simplicity of your word to tell us what this means and to understand what it means to put it into practice. Wherever we are in our journey of faith, God, I pray that we would begin to tend to and care for our soul in new ways, God, and experience the freedom and the hope and the wholeness that you have for us here in this place. Meet us in this space, oh God, so we're not just having a conversation about you, but we're having an experience with your spirit that transforms us as we look to your word for truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we see just how vital this practice of repentance is in Luke chapter 5. Jesus gives language to this that maybe we're not familiar with when we think of repentance. Because Jesus says this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now get this. Jesus here is saying that there is a sin problem with humanity, and he, he compares it to like a sickness. And as the great physician, as the doctor, his prescribed treatment is repentance. So Jesus associates repentance with healing, which is good news for us. Because a lot of times we think about repentance, and, and we think like, like it's that moment when God catches us with our hand in the cookie jar, and we're like, oh, our bad. And he's like, all right, go to your room. No supper for you. No soup for you, you know. Like we have this kind of idea. Or we think that repentance is that moment where because we know we've messed up, we have to like approach God almost like with some spiritual Eeyore mentality. Like, I'm so bad. I messed up. I'm a sinner. I do bad things. I'm bad. 
shame on me, right? And we feel like we have to stay in this state for however long we think matches the level of severity of the sin. But Jesus paints a radically different picture here. Jesus associates our repentance with healing. It's an action that we take to get well, to get healed, to get free. (gasps) Suddenly, repentance is sounding a lot better. Like, for those of us who are willing to admit that we could use a little bit more wellness in our life, a little bit more freedom in our life, a little bit more wholeness in our lives, then repentance sparks hope. In fact, repentance is not self-punishment. It's not wallowing. It's not self-loathing. It's not subjecting ourselves to humiliation and exposure. Repentance is simply changing our minds. That's what it means. It's changing our thinking, changing the way that we think about sin, the way that we think about God. When we repent, we are literally saying, I used to see this sin in my life differently. I used to attach myself to it differently. I used to view its significance and its impact differently. But now I'm changing the way that I think about this sin. And I am changing direction. And I'm turning and I'm running to God to receive the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that he has for me. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 describes repentance this way. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, because of all of the heroes in the word that we've read about, because of all the Christians that have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Many of us read this verse a lot, but we've missed that there's repentance being talked about here. It's identifying the sin that weighs us down and saying, I'm changing the way I see about this and I'm letting it go and I'm moving on. It's identifying the things in our life, the thinking, the words, the actions that are unnecessarily weighing us down and choosing to drop them in pursuit of Jesus so that we can draw closer to God and experience the transformation that only happens. Hey, if we forget anything else from today's message, I hope we hear this. Religion doesn't change anything. Relationship with Jesus changes everything. And so we eliminate sin so that we can grow closer in connection to the one who transforms us. It's like this. It's like imagine that this backpack is my soul. It's nice. To me, soul. (laughs) Okay. So I'm wearing this, and I'm journeying with Jesus, and I'm walking, And as I walk, some things start to happen. This is my walk, apparently. But this is how I walk. And as I walk, there's some things that start to happen. Sometimes I start to feel some aches and pains. Ever ever carried a lot on a subway for a long time? You were like unprepared. A good bag in New York City is a very important thing when you're doing a commute, right? Well, suddenly there's like some aches or there's pain. Something's happening. It's like slowing you down. It's weighing you down. Sometimes you don't even notice it, but the travel companion that you're with a.k.a. for us, the Holy Spirit, says, ooh, it looks like you got some pain in your life. Let's look at your soul. Really? My soul? That's not the problem. The problem is the commute. The problem is the weather. The problem is my job. Not my soul. And then God's like, no, let's look. Holy Spirit says, let's look inside. And all of a sudden you're like looking inside. You're like, it's just my soul. It's nice. God, remember I'm saved. Remember we're good. No, no, no. Look a little deeper. Ooh. Okay. Wow. 
Well, no, 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 don't worry about that. That's just the show I watch. It's not a big deal. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, it's lust. Oh. Oh, so this is damaging my marriage. Oh. This is slowing me down with you. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it like that, but you're right, it's pretty heavy. Oh. This selfishness, I... Listen, I thought it was just being ambitious at work. I didn't, I didn't realize that people can't trust me, and I don't trust them because I think the only way to get ahead is if I take care of myself instead of you take care of me. I didn't, I didn't get it until now. Oh, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that my inability to serve was doing so much damage in my community. I, I tweet a lot, <laughs> I post a lot, but uh, I don't actually help people. And I'm starting to see how much you help me. And that maybe the answer to this purpose question I keep asking is actually starting to serve. Okay. Repentance is changing how we view the sin. And then dropping it and leaving it behind. And all of a sudden we pick up the bag and wow, things are a lot lighter. Oh, I feel a little bit freer. I can keep up a little bit more. I can move forward in my spiritual growth a bit quicker. Now I'm more accessible and available and and agile and flexible to move where God wants me to move and make the impact and be the hands and feet that he's called me to be. Ooh, life is getting better. Why? Because of repentance. This is the practice of repentance in our lives. In fact, J.I. Packer describes it this way. Repentance, as we know, is basically not moaning and remorse, but turning and change. Now, here's what we need to understand about repentance. The goal of repentance is not to be morally perfect. What a relief, right? Listen, Jesus filled that role. He is and was, so we don't have to be. The goal is not, and this is so important because we don't always use the word and language morally perfect, but we use language like, I'm trying to be a better person, right? We're not trying to be better people. We're trying to enter into deeper connection with the one who is perfect, who changes us and molds us and cleanses us and sets us free and brings wholeness into our lives. Because he's perfect, we're not trying to be perfect. We just want to enter into closer proximity with the one who transforms us, right? It's a distinct difference. In fact, Mark Spence puts it this way. Repentance does not mean achieving perfection. We don't clean ourselves up on our own efforts and then try to get God to accept us. Christ isn't asking us to clean up our lives. He's commanding us to lay down our lives. There's a world of difference. This is great. I mean, think about the full power of repentance. When we start really looking at it in these terms, we begin to understand that this is one of the most powerful things we could do in our lives. In fact, it was the act of repentance that for those of us who are followers of Jesus in this room has brought eternal salvation our way. Like, think about it. Really, we had one idea of what our life was about. We had one sort of thinking about what life should be about. We had one understanding of God, and then at some point in our lives, however that happened, whenever that happened, we made a decision. We decided that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's not just a good guy, he's not just somebody we talk about in church, but he is the Son of God, and he came to set the world free from sin, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead to free us from the power of death, destruction, the grave, and offer us eternal hope and eternal salvation. Because we chose to believe that he is God, that he is the way to salvation, then we changed. 
We went from one way in our life to suddenly changing course and saying, no, now I'm going to follow you. My life used to be about this, but now I'm pursuing you. I used to think that I could figure out life on my own, but now I recognize that it's only through you that I can experience freedom and salvation. Repentance led us to the most powerful moment of our lives that changed everything for us. Because we practiced repentance at one point in our lives, we went from death to life, from lost to found, from darkness to light. The most powerful moment of our entire eternity happened because of repentance. But sadly, we believe that repentance is only regulated to our eternal salvation. So too often, we're like, one and done. I did it. I said the prayer. I go to church now. I'm getting to know community. I'm growing in my faith. Like, I have a relationship with Jesus. So now I don't really have to do this repentance thing anymore. And we fail to understand that repentance is not just a one moment that equals our eternal salvation, but that it actually is a practice, a rhythm of life for us as followers that causes our souls to be continually renewed. Okay, think about it this way. When I married Ben, on our wedding day, I declared my love for him. But that was not the only time I've done that since. If that was the only time, we'd be having some problems, right? I hopefully every day I am continuing to express honor towards him and the commitment that I've made. See, the day that, that I exchanged vows with him was an important day. It was a day that will forever be set apart. But what it did was become a catalyst for a new relationship and a new way of life. And the same is true for us. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, it is a practice of repentance. And it is set apart. It's significant because it is the moment that we went from death to life. But now we continue to practice repentance in our everyday life for not eternal salvation that's already set, but for the continual renewal life happening in our soul. See, look at how... This is described in scripture, Psalm 19, 13 through 14. The Passion Translation says this. Keep cleansing me, O God, and keep me from my secret selfish sins. May they never rule over me, for only then will I be free from fault and remain innocent of rebellion. So may the words of my mouth, my meditation thoughts, and every mo movement of my heart be always pure and pleasing, acceptable before your eyes. My only redeemer, my protector God. Notice the tense here. Keep cleansing me. Keep, not once when I said a prayer, once upon a time, but keep cleansing me. Luke 9, 23 through 24, Jesus gives very specific language. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it daily. Did you catch that? Daily. Repentance is meant to be a rhythm of life, a way of life for the follower, for those of us who are following Jesus, which is really important because I don't know about you, I'll just speak for my own soul, but it needs some continual cleaning. It does. My thinking, my will, my desires, my agendas, the way I manage my emotions definitely needs some continual soul detox. I think we would wish, I really do, and I, I, I wish that this were the case too, that when we become a follower of Jesus, like we have this idea, okay, so I had all this pre-existing sin in my soul, but the longer that I follow Jesus, he just keeps removing it, and it just keeps getting lighter and lighter until one day, oh, I have arrived, and I will teach you all my ways, right? Like, like we almost picture the journey of faith to be this really linear and upwards one, right? 
Like we're just going straight up the mountain all the way to the glory, right? And we fail to understand that sometimes, let's be real, it's not that linear. It's a whole lot messier. It doesn't feel like onward and upward. It feels like we're going around the mountain slowly upward, right? Sometimes it feels like two steps forward, one step back, right? I don't know about you, but I have a tendency of not just having to heal from my past sin before I knew Jesus, but I have a tendency sometimes to pick up some new sin along the way. I do, right? I don't know about you. I'm just speaking for me. But I'm going through life, and either I get distracted or I get enticed. Ooh, that's a shiny object. Look at that. How fun would that be to play with, right? That's what we call temptation, by the way, and us just choosing to fall into it. Awesome. I'm going to add this to my bag. So I need continual soul cleansing. I need the practice of repentance because if not, even if I think I'm all together, before I know it, I'm going to start being weighed down, right? It's going to be hard to move. It's going to be hard to grow, and I'm frustrated by why I'm stagnant, and I can't figure it out. Some of us in this room, we can't figure out oh, why our faith feels, oh, why we feel heavy. It's because God's calling us to some soul cleansing through repentance, and we've been denying it, the experience, because we've been so afraid of what it means. But I pray that today our hearts and minds would be renewed to what repentance really is, that it's not something that brings about punishment and condemnation in our lives, but freedom and hope. So how do we do this? I mean, how do we actually practice repentance so it's not just a sermon from a fast-talking woman with a lot of rocks in her bag, right? How do we make this real in our everyday life? Well, we're going to read a psalm together, and it's actually a psalm that King David wrote. And King David wrote it as an actual expression of repentance. And as we look to him acting out repentance in his own life, I think we can gain some perspective on how we could apply the act of repenting in our own life as well. And I'll set up this psalm a little bit here for us because context is king in scripture, isn't it? And we see that in, in the life of King David in the Old Testament, he really is a spiritual giant. We can look back and we can learn so much about how to follow God and how to have faith through his journey. But his journey, like we talked about, was not linear, it was messy. And after so many successes in the Old Testament, he's now king, he's overcome so many trials, he's been faithful to God, he's become a, a, a man who God says is a man after my own heart. And under his leadership, the nation of Israel has grown to its largest, it's expanded his kingdom. And he is honored, he is revered, he's a national he er, hero. There is no king that is ever compared to him. And at the height of his success, he sins big. He commits adultery with a married woman knocks her up, sorry, but that's really what happens. He gets her pregnant. He doesn't know what to do about it, so he covers it up by killing her husband using his power abusively, God-given power, by the way. And the prophet Nathan confronts him over this, and he has a choice in Scripture. He can either continue to hide the sin and cover it up, which would have been an option for the most powerful man in a nation, or he can choose to face it, and he chooses to face it, and he practices repentance, and this is the most incredible part. The man who did all those things is remembered in scripture, not as the fallen man, but as the redeemed man, the forgiven man, the man who can still be a story of God's grace for our lives today, which is news and good news for all of us, because for those of us who are feeling stuck in some shame right now, stuck in some patterns right now, friends, I want to give you hope that your sin is not writing your story. God's grace can write your story, and it can begin for us today. So we're going to unpack some keys here from this psalm, Psalm 51, and we're going to talk about what it means for us to practice repentance as a natural rhythm of following Jesus. We're going to start by reading verses 1 through 3. 
This is David responding in repentance to the confrontation of his sin. And he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Here's the first point of repentance. Acknowledge sin for what it is. Notice the language that David uses here. Transgressions iniquity, sin. He doesn't call it a oops, my bad, a mistake, poor judgment, an error, I'll try better next time. No, he calls sin, sin. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't blame it away. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't defend it. He calls a spade a spade. Sin is sin. And we like to categorize sin into two categories, like the inexcusable and the excusable categories, but God doesn't do that. It's all sin in his eyes. Sin is missing the mark. It's when we, in one way or another, disobeyed God, and we rebelled against his authority as God in our lives. And God is asking us, hey, in order for you to go through this journey of healing from that sin and drop it and leave it behind, then you need to be willing to admit that it is sin. You need to call it what it is. And we know this instinctively. We do, we do know this. Even if we don't like the idea of it, because culture doesn't like to call sin, sin anymore. We like other names because they sound more pleasant and friendly, right? We know this. Because when somebody has wronged us, especially if they're in close relationship with us, they hurt our feelings or they've wronged us, and they apologize, but right after they say sorry or forgive me, they follow it up with, but you know, I only did it because, right? Or... Hey, and you know, it's not like you've never done, right? Come on, we're getting feels right now because we've all had that experience. Like righteous anger is welling up inside of us, right? Because we understand that if it's going to be apology, if it's going to be true repentance, if it's going to be an act of forgiveness, we don't want an explanation. We just want you to acknowledge the wrong and say, please forgive me. That's it. Well, why would it be different with God? He wants the same thing. He's like, hey, just let's call it what it is so we can move forward. This is why, by the way, when James talks about confess your sins one to another for the process of healing, this is why it's so crucial. Because when you're willing to confess that there's a sin that you've been struggling with, when I'm willing to confess that there's a moment in my life where a sin has really taken over and I need some freedom, I'm actually willing to own it. I'm taking responsibility for it. If I'm willing to tell somebody else, I'm ready. You can't talk, you can't confess your sin to somebody else and be like, oh, but I want that big of a deal. They'd be like, well, why are you bringing it up, right? Like, you're ready. You're ready to be set free. You're ready for some healing. That's why it's so significant, and that's why it does equal healing. That's why what Jim says is true. And for some of us, that's the big step that we might need to take, depending on how stuck we feel at the moment. When we're willing to say, you know what, this is sin, and I want freedom, and I'm going to get some help. That's the beginning of Catalyst for Change for us, and we can practice that. It's a powerful act of practice in our lives. But then it goes beyond that. Not only do we acknowledge sin for what it is, but we have to recognize its impact. Look at how it continues here, Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. This is really interesting. Let me remind you of what I said that King David just did. He had committed adultery. He had murdered a man. And he had done it by abusing his power. So when I read, to you alone, God, have I sinned, I'm like scratching my head a little bit the first time. I'm like, really? Because I think you messed up a lot of lives, you know? Like, 
I think there's a trail of heartbreak and devastation that you should own up for as well, right? I think you hurt some people. I think you harmed some people. I think you killed someone. I hate to bring it up again, right? Like, but listen here. He's not diminishing the wrong that he's done to others, but he is acknowledging that he has sinned against God. It's, it's almost like David has this realization that before the impact of my sin was felt in the lives of others, it was felt by God. And that ultimately, when I sin, it comes, to, it comes down to a disconnect between me and the heart of God. And if I can get that connect back, if I can restore that, if I can come back to a place of receiving the mercy and grace of God, then it's gonna have a ripple effect that's felt in the relationships of others. But if I don't, then it's gonna cause pain and chaos in every other relationship that I have. It's, it's as if David is reminding us that as much as the sin does affect other people in our lives, and we need to repent of that as well, that we need to acknowledge that truly all sin is sin against God. Sometimes I think we're like, oh, I need to stop gossiping because it hurts other people. Yeah, and it hurts the heart of God, right? Like, yes, that sexual sin does steal something from somebody else or it does impact the relationship, but also it impacts the relationship you could have with God, right? Like, like yes, that, that kind of selfish behavior at work, yeah, you're right, it is affecting the environment of your workplace, but it's also a disconnect now between you and God. Jen Jennings put it so brilliantly last week. She was actually in town and teaching at a couple of our locations. She's our community pastor in St. Pete. And she said this, it's easy to view sin as a failure of performance rather than a failure of intimacy. But the closer we get to God, the less we desire to disappoint him, the more we desire to be like him, the less we want to grieve him. You know, when we acknowledge that not just the wrong of sin, but who we've wronged, then we come back to the simplicity of what our faith is all about. Before it's about a relationship with others, and yes, our faith is something to be shared, it is us and Jesus. And we can come back to that simple place. We can begin to restore what has been broken and find the heart of God back in our lives, right? So not only do we need to recognize its impact and how it impacts our relationship, but here's the best part. Some of you guys are like, this has been kind of sad up until this point, but it's about to get better. We get to receive mercy from Jesus. That's the next spot, our moment of repentance. We receive mercy from Jesus. Listen to what Psalm 51.7 says. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And let's go back to verses 1 and 2 again to read the same theme. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. You know, 1 John 1, 7 through 8 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, and I love that first part. He's basically like, come on, y'all, we all sin, okay, right? He says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, this is what I want us to take away from the conversation here when we talk about the mercy of God. Listen, I was just at a camp last week and I was, teaching to high school students, and there were so many different interactions I was having with them, and we were unpacking some heavy stuff, and so many of the conversations came back to when I was trying to prep them for, okay, life after camp. What kind of conversations are you going to have with your family? What's it going to look like to talk to your parents? So many times they're like, I'm so afraid to talk to my parents. I don't know how they're going to take it. I don't know how they're going to respond. And sometimes when we dug a little bit deeper, there were some dynamics there that, yeah, that's, that's the right thing to adjust and, or, or, or be aware of. But there was a whole other one that it was just like, it's human nature, isn't it? That when we realize that we need to own up to a wrong, we're afraid of how 
the parental presence in our life, how our Heavenly Father will respond. I don't know where that comes from, that fear. But the same book that we just read from, 1 John, also talks about how perfect love casts out all fear. God's love is perfect. So we need not be afraid when we approach him. Every single time, we will be met with mercy and grace. Every time. There's, like, hear this. There's no exceptions. I, I think uh, Cody said this a few times, and I love this. There's no special sin. <laughs> like, your sin isn't special. It's like, oh, you are the one exception. Sorry. Oh, man. No. We all get in on the mercy, the forgiveness, the grace of God. And here's something else we're thinking about. We tend to see how humans hold grudges, don't we? Come on, we've been guilty of it. Or somebody, you know, somebody says, we're sorry again, and we're like, oh, let me pull out the list of wrongs. You know, even though we said sorry, we moved on, you hurt me again, here it is. Like, I didn't know you kept that book. I did. I've been keeping it for a while, right? God is not like that. God is not like that. He doesn't bring up our past failures when we go to ask for repentance once again or go to ask for forgiveness once again. He's right there to meet us once again with mercy and grace every single time. And some of us need to hear this because the reason we've been holding on to unnecessary weight of sin in our life is because we're still a little afraid of how our Heavenly Father is going to respond. But friends, you have to understand that there's no condemnation in Christ. In fact, there is mercy and grace and His unfailing love that will blot out every transgression. So why put off what you could be experiencing, the freedom and hope you could have. Have a conversation with your heavenly father. And today we're going to have space for this. And I pray that as you do, you are met and you get a deeper understanding of the mercy and grace, his love that is unfailing in your life. So not only do we receive mercy from Jesus, oh, but this is important. We embrace the comfort and healing from the Holy Spirit. Psalm 51, 8 through 12 says this, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now notice here in verse 8, he says, let the bones you have crushed be restored. This is really interesting. You know, I think of it as that physician that Jesus talked to himself as in Luke 5, right? Have you ever had a broken bone? and you didn't get it properly treated, it doesn't heal right, does it? And sometimes you need somebody to reset things that are broken, and there might be an initial pain, but it's for the, the, the healing and health in your future. And we need to understand sometimes that as we repent, there's gonna be a state of brokenness that happens. There might even be some things that, that God might take away, that God might adjust, that God might say, hey, you used to ha- engage in this behavior, you used to, to uh, go ahead and pursue that relationship this way, but I'm gonna need it to change now. And it's not to punish us, it's actually to bring us to a place of healing and comfort. This is so important that we understand. We love the idea of God forgiving us, but we're not always open to the healing that he wants to do. So some of us continue in patterns of sin, Right? We keep picking the thing up, going, oh, my bad, putting it down again. Oh, my bad, picked it up. Right? And this is how our church life, this is how our experience with God becomes. It becomes this really toxic, honest, honestly, uh, relationship with our sin where we keep stumbling and we can't overcome. And it's because we never went beyond receiving the mercy and grace. We never were able to let God heal. There's another level that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to heal. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like, he wants to ask the question, say, why you keep doing that thing? Not just, I forgive you for that thing, but why? Let's talk about that wound. Let's talk about the rejection. Let's talk about the abandonment. Let's talk about the scarcity mentality. Let's talk about how you feel like there was something that was robbed from you, and now you feel like you're the only one. Let's talk about those things. Let's not just forgive you for having sex on the weekend. 
with that person that you shouldn't have. Let's talk about, I forgive you, I have mercy and grace for you, no judgment, but let's talk about why you ended up there. Whew, when we start going there, there's freedom, there's healing. I have a, I broke a toe about three years ago, and I did not get it properly set. And some of you are looking at my feet right now, don't do it, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't do it. I see you, don't do it. And one of them just does not, I mean, you ask my husband, it just like, peeks out a little now. It's very strange. It don't sit the way it's supposed to. And it probably won't anymore, right? It's just that weird toe now. You know, it's going to be weird. Like someday I'm going to be old and my grandkids are going to be like, what's up with grandma's toe? And I'm going to be like, I never went to the doctor. Shut up, right? Like, because we don't take care, right? But that's what happens. Let's let God heal. Do you know what I'm saying? Not just forgive. He wants to bring healing. You got to open yourself to that healing because God has full healing for us. And here's the last point, and we're going to pray in just a moment. But in Psalm 51, 13 through 15, we see that not only is there forgiveness, not only is there mercy, there's healing, but also you can see that David gets to this place where now he's celebrating. <laughs> he's celebrating the truth. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sins will turn back to you, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Friends, repentance is supposed to actually lead to joy. Right? Joy. Like, I've been forgiven. That's a good day. I'm getting healed. That's a great day. I was carrying a weight. I'm not carrying anymore. That's a great day. I actually believe that the people who worship the most are the people who practice repentance the most. I do. Because <laughs> you go, you're like, God, I know what you took me through today. Come on, we know what I did, and we know how you forgave, and we know the healing journey I'm on. Yes, Jesus. I think that the greatest evangelists are not the ones with the mic or all the right words, but they're the ones practicing repentance a lot in their lives. Because I'm like, look what God is doing in my life. you got to get on in this too. I think the people who are the greatest servants are the ones who are experiencing repentance in their life because they're like, man, Jesus has served me well this week. He has saved me. He has set me free. And not just once, once upon a time, but this week he brought me through something. So I've got a lot to give to serve. Some of us right now, we don't have much to give because we've lost sight of the practice of repentance. Whew. So I was like, oh, I don't really like that song. They're singing that song again. You know, I have a song that I want to sing, and maybe I'll show up on time, Cody. I don't know why I became like this, like, mafia guy, you know? I don't know what happened there. Forget about it. Just play my song, right? And so we're like, we forget. We make it all about our preference, what we like. I don't know, man. You practice repentance in your life. You're like, I don't care what song. If it's got Jesus in it, my hands are lifted. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm like showing. I'm like, thank you, God. <laughs> oh, thank you, God. Right? I think that there's a vibrancy that comes to our faith when we begin to practice repentance as a rhythm and not just an every now and again in a desperate situation. But if we can come back to the rhythm of repentance in our lives, oh, there's hope, there's joy, there's peace, there's celebration. And that celebration can begin for us today. So I want to pray for us very quickly. And I pray that you've been given the tools to begin to practice this in your life. Father, we thank you that you're a God who sees us and you love us. And you call us to repentance, not to punish us. You call us to repentance to make us whole. And so we receive the healing that you have for us in this space. For those of us right now who are confronted with sin, 
God, I thank you that you lead us to wholeness when we choose the practice of repentance. And so we confess our sin to you right now. We acknowledge that we need you. We're recognizing the impact of it. We're not downplaying it. We're not minimizing it. And Father, we're asking for your mercy and your grace. And we thank you that you give it and we receive it. Not only do we receive it, but Father, we open our heart to the healing that you have for us. Heal every wound. Start to dig, like we're letting you dig deeper into our hearts, God. So this week, as we open our hearts and say, you examine God and you have your way, I pray that it would bring new levels of freedom and hope and healing. For those of us who've been unwilling to go to certain places, God, and that toe just hasn't been set right, God, I thank you that you're resetting things that need to be reset this week so that we could walk in the freedom that you have for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that we can celebrate that repentance doesn't need to be something that we wallow over or we feel discomfort by. But we thank you, Jesus, because of your forgiveness, we can walk in joy. Because of your grace, because of your healing, there's celebration, Father. So I pray that as we practice this repentance, that there's a vibrancy that we begin to walk in in our faith, the one that you intended for us, God, as we walk lightly and freely before you and with you.